This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, I look back at Argentina. Should the sprint results set the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix? Is Franco Morbidelli back? One earth happened to Fabio Quattararo this weekend, and the reigning champ shows us a chink in his armour. Plus, all the Moto2 and Moto3 action reviewed and your questions answered. Remember, if you want to send us a question, you can voice note us or send it in uh, in written form. Do it on your phone. You can email us. It's podcast at crash.net, along with your name and where you're from. If you're going to voice note us, please keep it to 30 seconds-ish and we shall get you on the show. Right. Recording day is Tuesday the 4th of April. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as always is Crash Moto GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith. Keith Hewin. Um, and Keith, let's, I mean, let's try and start maybe chronologically. This Another sprint race under our belts now. Binder Heroics on lap one saw him take the win. But all the questions that we've had come in off the back of the sprint races, should the sprint finishing positions determine the grid for Sunday's Grand Prix? Well, you set us off with a, with a question there. But uh, I mean, like, this is going to be so varied throughout the hour, isn't it? Because we've had so much that's gone on here. I mean, I think people are actually doing it just to blast our bloody predictions out of the water with uh, one thing and another. Um, KTM, I mean, Binder, you couldn't meet a a better guy or a nicer guy when it comes to, you know, what he does and how he does it. And to to take that sprint win was just outstanding. I mean, KTM, they came from, they've come from nowhere. You know, this was no, none of this was, was seen in testing. You know, everything is about racing. I know they've got two of the best racers in the world, as in Binder, or should I say the most determined racers in the world. In Binder and Miller, you, you're going to get the best out of those two guys. Argentina, we've seen some some great rides from both of them there in the past. As we have Bezeki, the guy who actually took it all on Sunday. But should the going back to your point, I suppose should the points? I, I mentioned this last time, didn't I? If we are not going to get to the situation where people don't believe it's worthwhile carrying on running, mind you. I tripped myself up with that one, really. If we carry on the way we're going, there's only going to be nine people in the bloody race anyway, so they're all going to score points. So, yeah. um, <laughs> but we'll get there in a minute as well. Five out of it, of course. But the, it would stop people from pulling out or not trying as hard as they need to try if they were grid position for Sunday, if the sprint race set up grid positions for Sunday. We've not seen that yet, but I, I feel that that will evolve as the year moves on. People will work out whether it's worth saving engines, whether it'll be, you know, as we move on through the year, whether it will be worth saving you know, mileage or whatever it might be, or even crash damage at the end of the day. I mean, I would think budgets are going to be, you know, they must be already stretched in a couple of teams already. 
when was the last time we didn't have any Repsol Wonders out on the grid, I wonder? You know, like with Mir out as well now, five riders, five of the top-line riders. Then we get a KTM that wins a sprint race. Then we get Morbidelli with two fourth places. Where did Morbidelli come from? Where did the the real Morbidelli all of a sudden stood up? Quattararo has imploded at Yamaha. I, mean, I would think you come away from that flight, you know, scratching your head. You know, if you were any any of the teams trying to work out what just happened, what did we just see? <laughs> I mean, clearly getting off the flight, yeah, lots of questions for Fabio Quattararo. But, I mean, it was Marco Bezzecchi who took the Grand Prix win. And I believe Pete and I did have that as our prediction, not for the win, but for a first-time winner, would be in the form of Pazeki. He'd get it first. Uh, Keith, you went with Alex Marquez, uh, which looks like it's on the horizon, as to for Zarco. But, I mean, let's talk about Pazeki. I mean, what a what a f- brilliant ride from him, you know, second in the sprint and then, convert- and then converting to a Grand Prix win on Sunday. It's the only thing he dropped was the sprint, wasn't mm. it, Pete? I mean, he had warm-up, he was quickest, quickest man over the weekend all round, Winner of the main race, of course. I love that. I loved his quote afterwards, and I wrote it down because I, I hate quotes that aren't quotes. I just like I've made them up. I woke up with a, sen- a strange sensation. I know we all do, but he woke up with a strange sensation. Normally, I'm not very good with the MotoGP in the wet. <laughs> <laughs> well, the strange sensation certainly worked out for him. He'll be hoping he gets another one of them next time out at Goda, That's for sure. But um, he's been good around Argentina before, but. And he's 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 on the lips as he is on your your two. You, he's your man for winning his first race, and he's done it. I mean, he's done a fantastic job. But he was so dominant, it was slightly scary. And by contrast, his best mate, the the trash talking between the two of them, he slips off on you know with eight laps to go or whatever. He's being higher. Actually, no. that was really classy. I know falling off wasn't classy, but did you did you watch it? Watch him as he slid off. He slided up the road and he's got to about 30 mile an hour. And you can just see his hand pull the clutch in. He just reaches for the clutch just to make sure that thing still could be running by the time he needs to pick it up. I mean, that is presence of mind when you just dumped yourself out of the race. He don't kick the bike away. He's just thinking, how can I save this? It was a really good shot. Dawn cameraman. I love Dawn cameraman. They are, they're just so good. They pick up all those little bits and bobs. But uh, that for me as an ex-rider was uh, was class. Yeah, I mean, both both races were were pretty exciting weren't they for different reasons as you say and uh, you know Bezeki first win also for, for Rossi's team of course in the in the top class so a, a big boost for them all round as you say double podium on the, the day before and uh, and, then, and then poor old Zarco in second I say poor old because yet again he extends that run of most podiums without a race win I think he's up to about 16 or something now and he's still oh, waiting for gosh. that win we're talking about Bezeki you know he's achieved his goal of coming into the year of a race win at his second round, doesn't he? So, uh, yeah, and Alex Marquez on the podium, first time since 2020. I mean, all satellite Ducati podium. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's another shock result. We didn't predict it, did we, obviously? Um, but but who would? And that's the great thing, you know, that the fact that you don't know what's going to happen and that these guys do have a great chance of, of being up there, whatever machinery they're on. And Bezeki, well, it's a bit like Bastianini Part 2, isn't it, from last year? It's quite. A, I mean, you 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 mentioned that that you know should we have points or should we use the the sprint races grid positions for Sunday? Um, and yet there's there's a fair bit of movement at the moment. People in the paddock. The sprint race is so good. It's like they want three sprint races now. You know, two on Sunday. They almost want to steal the thunder of um, world superbikes. Really, for I hope not. I, I mean, I think a, a long race is where we're at with a prototype MotoGP. To be honest, but I can see why people are banging the drum for it. All of those um, naysayers, all the ones that were, you know, this is this is madness and all the rest of it, seem to have settled back a little bit into it this week. 
it seems to be more, even though there were difficult conditions. If I may, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get to Moto 3 and Moto 2. I think there's a, I just felt this weekend a little bit sorry, if that's the right phrase, for Moto 3 and Moto 2. They've been pushed back really substantially when it comes to television airtime to a certain extent, track time as well. I mean, that no warm up on a Sunday, that's that's a major step for me. I mean, you, you know, uh, a fellow called John Wilson wrote to me and he said, you know, what's the story here? What happens if they've had wet um, uh, track time prior to Sunday and they don't get a warm-up in the dry? There's no allowance for that. You know, the other way round, they get, you know, extra uh, warm-up laps, uh, sighting laps, so they can go through pit lane and do another do another lap if they want. They can go to the grid straight away or they can come through pit lane and do another lap. That's a hell of a way to bloody break up your concentration when you're trying to work out which bit of the track's got a puddle on it. And which bit ain't. I mean, it's a. I just think that, that, that Motor 3 and Motor 2 are being shortchanged a bit at the moment. And anybody who's a major supporter of Motor 3 and Motor 2 are being shortchanged also. Same with the television. You know, in the UK, it's disappeared onto the red button for their their free practices. I note that the broadcaster of BT Sport got it a lot better in Argentina than they did for the first round. That was a disaster area when they didn't put FP3 up there, didn't have their own commentators on the go on Friday, so on and so forth. So they've sorted that out to a great extent. I can understand why television companies might put the lesser classes, sorry for calling them lesser classes, but you know where I'm coming from, um, on the red button. There may be other sporting events and things that they've got to do, and uh, they do give a lot of time to to MotoGP um, in every other instance. So I can understand why that might happen, but I, I can't understand why Dorna, apart from time constraints, don't want or not allowing a warm-up for Moto3 and Moto2. I, I think that is borderline, well, I won't say dangerous, but it's certainly pushing the boundaries of, of what's acceptable, I would say, from Moto3 and Moto2. And I'm surprised we haven't heard more people screaming about it in the paddock, to be honest. This weekend, you know, they'd done, they'd done no wet mileage, or very little. There was a dry line most of the time. It was damp maybe when they'd been out, but then they had a full-on wet situation on, on Sunday morning, and they couldn't, couldn't warm up to that they couldn't make sure they got you know into the the feel of a racetrack i mean a racetrack changes anyway but when it's fully wet you want to know where those lines are you want to know where the puddles are where things are laying and to to have just two sighting laps to get used to a fully wet track i think that's asking a lot in a professional sport personally it it does seem strange that they couldn't just fit in a 10 minute warm-up you know, for those classes, there, there does seem to be a bit of a gap, doesn't there, on Sunday mornings now. We have talked about it last week. You've got these massively intense Saturdays now of action, 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 action. And then there's sort of a bit of a lull on, on Sunday mornings, only the MotoGP warm-up. So it does seem strange they couldn't sort of fit fit a bit of a warm-up in. Of course, there's no guarantee that the rain or something might not arrive until after the warm-up. But, of course, there's one more chance to get the same conditions as the race, isn't there? But going back to the, your points about the, the whole sprint race thing, I mean, yeah, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but... I just can't get my head around the fact that Brad Binder didn't officially win. You, you know, if you look at his stats on the website, <laughs> yeah. he still hasn't won a GP race since 2021. Well, we saw him win. It was a fantastic win, but it's not there because it doesn't count. It just seems a bit weird and a bit artificial to me. Also, Marini, he doesn't still have a podium because it came in the sprint, which doesn't count. If you look at Bezeki's, uh, for example, his stats, um, it says, uh, and this is the way, you know, that it has to be shown at the moment because of the, the sprint thing. It's not a race, it's a sprint and all that. So it says two starts for the year when of course there's been four, but only only the Grand Prix starts count. So two starts, one win, 50 points. 
Well, <laughs> you know, if you've got 50 points from two starts, that means two wins. But of course, the Grand Prix points do count for the sprint, but everything else doesn't. It just seems confusing to me. And then to add to that, the, the Moto2 race was reduced to 14 laps, wasn't it? For the reasons Keith mentioned about sighting laps and everything else. That's only two laps more than Brad Binder did on the Saturday. And yet Tony Arbolino, nothing against him, won a Grand Prix on the Sunday over 14 laps. Brad Binder didn't win a Grand Prix on the Saturday over 12. I just I just can't get my head around that. I, I hope that it will change. I think it's confusing. But having said that, not many people seem to agree with me. But um, yeah, I, well, I, I, don't think I, I think most most people in the paddock, Peter, will agree with you. That's for certain. I mean, I, MotoGP.com, if, if you don't go on MotoGP.com, MotoGP.com, you can look at the results pages and stuff like that, print off the results. We all do it because it's it's, it's usually a great site. It just fries your brain now trying to work out what's what, what Pete's just said. If you go on MotoGP.com, go on the results page and start, you get the um, rider, I can't remember what it's called now, rider positions or rider rider performance, that's it, rider performance. It's under other other something or the other. It's quite a confusing site for them, sidebar and stuff like that. But if you go on rider performance, try and make sense of that if you can. Exactly what Pete's saying. It's, it's got one figure in here that says what you might think and another one that says something completely different that confuses it. They haven't really sorted it out. You would have thought that they'd have actually sorted a printout that was pretty self-explanatory, like they've always been in the past. You know, you do your research. You after a race or something, you print it all out. I mean, here we are. I'm going you know, as usual. You know, it's all <laughs> all printed out. I never ever look at it, but it's all there. Um, and and it, it gives you all the information you need at a glance. But all of a sudden, it's not at a glance. You then have to get the sheets out to see who did what in what sprint and who did what in what what race, because a sprint and a race are two different things nowadays. Yeah, I, I, to me, that's the confusing thing. I think, I think, I, I actually, I quite like the fact it doesn't count for a grid. I know that we we've gone on the pros and cons, and you can argue it. I'm actually fine with that, having it as a separate race. But I think it's a race. You know, people know what they see, and they saw Brad Binder <laughs> win a MotoGP race, and the fact that it doesn't mm. appear now on his profile, and even you know, things like that. It, I, I don't know. I just find that odd. I, I know. I know it's because the statistics that we're talking about again, isn't it? It's because if you try to compare it with riders from the past, obviously with 42 races, it, everything would be slanted. But then the statistics are not some sort of pure thing anyway. The, the Argentina race back in the 1960s, I had a quick look, was one hour and 50 minutes or something, or 40 minutes. So twice the length of a MotoGP race now. So a MotoGP race now on a Sunday is a sprint race compared yeah. to the old races then. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I just think a race is a race. You call it a race, a win's a win. Maybe there's something to be had here because um, Brad Binder won the first ever um, GP race on April Fool's Day, on the 1st of April. Martin <laughs> Rain, Dr. Martin really? Rain. <laughs> that's the first, in, all, all, in all Grand Prix, that's the first time that one's ever been won on wow. the um, 1st of April. Oh. There you go. There's your commentator stat. I don't know where Martin Rain. I don't think Martin Rain sleeps <laughs> to come up with stats like that. It, it is a really uh, interesting debate, though, because I suppose um, another argument may be: well, you know, look at Bezeki. The points he scored from all of the races and the sprint is what has propelled him to lead the championships. So then you go, well, if you're not counting the wins in these sprints, well, well the points are going towards the, cha- the overall championship. So surely. That yeah, should count for something. You, you get Grand Prix points, but not Grand Prix wins or accolades. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, we've been here before. There may be something deeper than this. I mean, it might be contractually that that, that you know manufacturers have got to pay massive great bonuses yeah. if it's called a Grand Prix. <laughs> there will there will be something behind the scenes contractually that that's made it this way, and it, and it'll evolve as we move into twenty twenty four. I'm sure of that. Okay. I mean, Dorna, 
the one thing you can say about Dorna, they're not asleep. Will they you know, change anything up middle of the year, do you think? Or whether, is it kind of cemented? And any I think it's cemented where year? we are at the moment. I mean, I think that, it, that all the big changes really come at the end of this year, don't they, for next year mm. and, and beyond. And yeah, we've got all sorts of things that are coming up for 2024 and onwards. Um, and, I mean, from a management point of view, you imagine where you are from a, from a management point of view now as well. I mean, everybody's, they must be spinning around in a 360-degree circle doing donuts, these guys, trying to work out what on earth they're going to do strategically for 2024 because all of a sudden we've got everybody's as good as everybody virtually <laughs> everybody capable of winning at some stage in these 42 races you know i wonder if we're going to have a, a situation where everybody's at a, at a podium by the time we get to the end of the year well i read somewhere that, that i mean the championship will be decided on the person who you know who crashes out the least pretty much I know well, that, yeah. that can't be said for every season but I think it's more so because you've got double the amount of races double the amount of jeopardy really well that, I mean Pete alluded to that a minute ago didn't he I mean in the olden days you'd have like nine rounds or something yeah. you know and the point scoring was different as well I mean so comparing you can't it's like apples and, and pears you can't compare with what happened in the olden days I think that's that's then this is now I mean we're, we're, we're in a, a very very intense situation now as well with regard to to everything i mean everybody is working so hard to, to make this work um i think it's fan- i think we're in a fantastic position but i think this year is an evolution um to see where we where we go for 2024 i think it, it, it definitely needs some tweaks here and there to have, we've got five riders out now because joanne mir ended up out as well so both the reps on the top men are, 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 were out come race day actually 17 riders on the grid that's getting pretty poor you know we're in a situation where you know, maybe the next thing is to to try and bring some more teams in here. I mean, I, I wonder whether there is a situation where it can be expanded somewhat. Yamaha certainly need to expand. Um, you know, there should be really a minimum of twenty four riders on the grid. I would have said. You know, you can you can soak up some of the slack in in that situation. <laughs> Sorry to refer to injured riders as slack. I didn't mean that at all. By the way, <laughs> it was just a phrase I was using. I just suddenly shot myself when I, when I said that. <laughs> um, but you know. When you've got a situation like we've got now, and it, is it going to get any better? I don't think so in the year. With all these right races that we've got going on, and it doesn't seem to matter now whether we've got a sprint or a main race. Blimey, those first couple of laps, you are just... I mean, I can't breathe. I'm sat on a sofa and I'm, I'm, I'm bloody need oxygen just to watch it. And I mean, and you have to appreciate, and I went into this last blog, the last time we were, were talking, you know, to appreciate what those guys are doing in those conditions, rubbing that hard with each other at 200 mile an hour, is phenomenal. I mean, we're all we're all sort of relaxed and laid back on our sofas and beer in hand or whatever you might be, watching it. Go, oh, look at this! Look at this great fun. Blimey, it's like gladiators. You know, they've got everything except swords. Uh, I, I honestly, I, I just, I'm so impressed with the way these guys are racing at the moment and. It is borderline. It is as borderline as I've ever seen it in my life. Um, Moto3, we come to almost accept it. But now, it's in MotoGP. Mm. You know, like, it's there isn't any quarter given anywhere at any time, in any condition. Bloody impressive, really. Just to answer your, your original question, Harry, about what might change during this year, there's a, there's a big announcement coming up of, this, of the new chief operating officer. I think that the official title is at Dorna, isn't it? I think... The, the, the expectation is that, that that role will be announced at COTA coming up and that it it's an English-speaking person, that's all we know, and it's somebody coming from the outside. 
Now, because it's in America, we're all sort of assuming it's an American, but we'll have to wait and see. But either way, it's it's, it's an important role. It's a you know commercial role, bringing someone in with new ideas. Interesting to see what changes there. Whether whether there's quick changes, as you say, you know, Harry, could something change this year? I mean, things like the stats and the sprint race wins, they can do that. You know, they can click their fingers, can't they? And, and even just backdated, it's not that important. It's just annoying, I think, a bit now for some people maybe that uh, you see something happen on track. You see a rider cross the line first, the checkered white flag waves, he won, but then he didn't win, you know. Mm. Um, but that kind of thing could be corrected. But it'd be interesting to see behind the scenes what changes this new uh, chief operating officer brings in. Interesting you say that, and I always like trying to get a Formula One link in just for Harry, don't I? I mean, Rivola, when he came across to Aprilia, he came in there and everybody went, Formula One guy, right at the turning point of Aprilia. You know, how much input and how much that was already in the pipeline, we won't know. But certainly he seems to have steadied that ship. You know, Albessiano, who was basically the the, the head man in the, in the paddock prior, um, he had a reputation for being a bit sparkly and a bit ruthless here and there as well. And and, and if you're a second rider, then you needed him on side, really, because you could find yourself without a ride by the end of the year. I think that Rivola definitely has, has steadied that ship. And look at where Aprilia are now and what they're doing now. So I think sometimes an outside pair of skilled eyes, skilled hands coming in can make that difference. And maybe... Maybe Dorna have recognised that. I mean, I know we go, we you know, a lot of people get stuck into Dorna for family members being, um, you know, chief of this and chief of that, and chief of everything. But, but if you look realistically, pretty much most of the people that got promoted in Dorna, even if they were, you know, sons of daughters of, um, actually do a bloody good job, and they're there because they do a good job, pretty much. But I suppose that Dorna are also kind of sensitive to the 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 bad PR they get for promoting family members or close relatives or you know illegitimate children of and so on and so forth so maybe 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 now that we've got a, a new ceo coming in from uh, from outside it'll be an interesting turn as this year rolls on as i say to the 2024 transition into new rules and new um, new ideas yeah we'll see well I, part of me wonders whether they might just add in as well you know this year 10 minute warm-up for moto three moto two whatever just to try I th- and, you might be right there Harry. Yeah. I, I mean you might that that might be a change because it, there is room for it and it's easy to do mm. you know and i think that there will be some pushback in moto three and moto two paddocks without doubt because that that you know that warm-up in the morning is your last chance to to, to try something to get something right to, to look at the track da 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 it's not just you know, not just there for going round and round in the first thing in the morning and blow the cobwebs off. It, it is a very useful mm. 10 minutes um, if you've had a problem through what is now a very intense Saturday. You, you reminded me there, Keith. Question for you, Harry. When, when they do the F1 driver parade, yeah. when is that directly before the race or is it after, you know, is it earlier in the morning? It's earlier in the morning. Right, yeah, because the, the MotoGP one is happening after the warm-up. This is what we're talking about. There's a bit of a gap on Sunday. And, and some people have said, well, there's not many fans in the grandstands then. You know, it would be better to put it a bit later. But I just wondered when it was, F1, maybe it's the same time then. But uh, yeah, because that's obviously a new addition for this year. You know, they're taking the round and uh, mm. the way to the fans and things. But sometimes it seems like it's a bit early, you know, with, with the races taking place later. The grandstands are still filling up. Yeah, that's a good better point, off with actually. an air display. <laughs> well, they had the F1 car in uh, Portimao. Well, they're going to, but I, I, there was a did not happen. Problem. No, there was a technical problem with it, so unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen. We don't, we don't like them leaking oil. <laughs> yeah, 
Definitely not. Well, I'll tell you what, um, in terms of our predictions, um, there, a couple of points were picked up. A half a point for Pete uh, for his sprint race prediction of, uh, who did you get? You got Bezeki, but you didn't get him oh. in the right order. Uh, and then uh, Keith was the only one to pick up points in the Grand Prix predictions. Can you believe that? He, what did you get? You got uh, two points for Alex Marquez. And so one for him being on the podium and one for him being in third place. So well done, Keith. Uh, he's you now lead. He's working away at it, Alex Marquez, you know. He's, he's you know, Bezeki's been the big headline and Binder, obviously, this, this weekend. But Marquez is there or thereabouts all the time. He's chipping away at it. I was quite impressed with him this weekend, not just because I picked him, but... Um, Those wins know, he's... For, for him and and like Joanne Zarco are surely just around the corner now with the dominance of this Ducati. We've been saying that for Zarco for God knows how long. <laughs> you know. But now more so than ever. I think, Pete, did you say earlier on in the, in the build-up in this that that was for the first win for Ducati at Termas? Um, I, I, I didn't. I, I said it was all. It was the all satellite program. No, but the, I think it was the first, the first ever win for Ducati yeah. at Turn yeah. at the Rio Hondo. So um, it, they had a big weekend <laughs> again. Well, we'll see, Pete. Um, I want to talk about Franco Morbidelli. Is this? Back. Is he back? The return last year. I read your article on him. Outscored two hundred and forty-eight points to forty-two, and now. He heads, he's in front of his teammate, Fabio Quattararo, after a disaster, basically, Argentina of Fabio. But Franco, with two P4s, running up the front, looking strong, looking stable, is he back? I mean, that that's obviously what everyone was asking all weekend. And he's, you know, he, he's still going to jump on this and go, yes, I'm back. You know, he's trying to keep calm. But definitely, he's, I mean, his best weekend since 2021, when he was on the podium at, at Jerez, and, you know, before he joined the factory team. Um, it seemed like the, the, the track is low grip. And, and it seems that, that Morbidelli does better in those circumstances than Quattararo. Quattararo sort of uses the, the corner speed to make up for the lack of power on the Yamaha, but it seemed like, and Keith will be able to explain this more, but it, it seemed like he, he, didn't, he wasn't able to do that this weekend, whereas Morbidelli, perhaps with this extra engine power they've got this year as well, <laughs> chipping in there, it just seemed to suit him more there because he didn't have a great weekend in Argentina last year. So, you know, the, but as you say, transformed and and let you know let's hope it's a turning point for him but yeah it's definitely too early to say for sure and that and that's what he was saying as well you need to go to codes and see if he can repeat it again um but certainly quattro said you, you know yeah frankie this track sepang test when it's low grip it they're, they're definitely closer let's say when there's low grip so the question will be when the grip level rises can frankie still be as competitive i think most impressive thing for me pete was the fact he was aggressive that he was sticking it in there. I mean, you need confidence to do that, and it's always looked like he's lacked confidence. So that'll be down to the, you know, being able to race at that grip level situation for sure. But I still think that he did look like a bit of a change, changed man. I mean, he's a very intelligent fellow. He, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's one of these guys that thinks about every single millimetre he covers. But I, is he back? I think, based on what I saw at the weekend with how aggressive and confident he was riding in very very difficult condition i'd say yes but i can't imagine how he switched it switched it like that i i'm i that's the bit i can't fathom is how he he went from zero to hero as opposed to the other way for some riders so it's kind of one of them ones where you know kota is a tough track as well i mean the circuit of the americas is he's a physical track you know, you don't know what you're going to get until you get there. Hopefully, the track will be in reasonable condition. Da 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 da. Weather-wise, it can be cooking or cool, one or the other. 
So we're going to find out what we get when we get to the circuit of the Americas. But I, I, I'd say, based on that, his confidence level is, is, is you know, 100% higher than it was prior to Argentina. And hopefully that puts the pressure now on Quattararo as well. Quattararo is the one that's in trouble here at the moment. You know, he's not only struggling with the, what he's doing with his motorbike, but now all of a sudden his teammates outscoring him. That is going to be something to... And Quattararo is an emotional type rider. He's not one of these steely, you know, types. It, it's, it, stuff gets to him. You know, he waves his hands about. He throws his arms in the air. He, he stamps his feet. You know, and suddenly he's, he's now going to be looking inwardly. What on earth went wrong there? How comes, you know... Frankie got that so right, and and we got it so wrong on our side of the garage. Yeah, you know, difficult times at Yamaha. Can, but can, they always find some little sparkle somewhere, don't they? And now it's Morby. Can you explain to me how? And forgive me for being naive, but if, if Frankie is better on a on a low track, on a low grip track, how is that? Surely, in my head, you know, the more grip you got, the better the better you're going to go. Feel. It's it's yeah. You know, it's a funny thing because the more grip you've got, you're putting more inertia through everything. You you know you, you're taking liberties with where you're going with it, and you've got to have confidence to be able to find that last millimeter in the dry and in the wet. Some wet is confidence. Wet is is how you you know relax, how you feel, how the bike feels with you. Now maybe that bike, the limit that, that Frankie finds in the, in the wet is is better than he does when he's got a dry setup on there. I mean, it's all about setup at the end of the day, and you'll understand that as a car guy. Mm. You know, the tiniest little tweaks make the biggest of differences sometimes. But it's about confidence, about how you feel about yourself. And that's the thing that, that baffles me with with Frankie Morbidelli, because he's gone from looking like he doesn't have the confidence to really, you know, swing a, you know, his arms about in the race. And yet, here he was. I mean, I, I was expecting at one point for him to slip backwards but really you know two fourth places in those kind of in those situations in those conditions um pretty damn good i'd have said that he must come out of kota with a with a, a much higher confidence level than he had going in mm. to argentina i mean wet, wet and dry isn't it that was the thing as well yeah. i mean it was to seem in one of those conditions you'd say okay he's got you know things have just fallen into place for him but to do it in both of those yeah i think that was that was really impressive. And, and Quattararo, of course, it, opening lap instance again, wasn't it? This time Nakagami sort of dived up the inside of him. No penalty, Keith. Do you think that was that was the right call? If you, I mean, I've always said it. I mean, we saw it with Lorenzo go back a few years at Argentina. You know, like if you qualify badly and you're in the middle of that bun fight into turn one and you get nudged, pushed, shoved every way, which way? You know, people are looking to just grab the brakes half, a, half, a, half an inch later than you did just to try and ram it up the inside. They've got to try and get, you know, everyone's got to try to get to the front before it all breaks up and everybody, you know, gets lying astern. Quattararo, you've got to qualify. It's always a problem. If you do not qualify on that front two rows of the grid, you're going to find yourself in all sorts of trouble. Um, front row, preferably, at some some track. But, you know, because, again, if you go and stand on the grid, there's 10 metres between the rows. There's a, there's a, you know, I can't remember how much it is between first and third place across the front row, but you... There's a fair gap between lines. When you look at it on the telly and everyone's looking at that camera that, that goes, points straight at them, they all look quite close. But to make up 10 metres from a start, you can't. You've got to make it up on the brakes. You've got to hope someone's slack or they've all gone for the inside line and you ride around the outside of them. But you immediately put yourself in danger when you're in a big group like that, You can, especially if you're on the outside taking the, the you know, around the houses type route. What did, uh, what did um, Lorenzo used to have on his uh, helmet? Or, or something yes, like that means right. around the outside, wasn't it? He used to have that that slogan on his helmet um, because of one incident where he did ride around the outside of everybody. 
um, some very famous names as well. So it's kind of, it's a risk strategy and it works. Sometimes you get everybody run by the corner and it's someone that manages to sneak around on the white line. It's just, you leave things to chance if you don't qualify well. And that's the case in all motorsport. You need those extra 10 yards be on the front row, uh, 10 metres. Sorry. Ben has asked a question. Um, going back to 2022, when Dovi was at Yamaha, he was claiming that the Yamaha was lacking traction, whereas Fabio was claiming it needed more power. Did Yamaha listen to Fabio for development rather than Dovi, or have they tried to improve rear traction but failed? Well, I mean, the, the traction issues at Yamaha were, were, were legendary, you know, because you'd get, as the fuel load went down, it would switch from front to back, back to front. Yeah, you'd have no traction at one point and you'd have loads of it as the fuel level went down, which was a nightmare scenario because no one could actually find that balancing act in the middle trying to find where where the sweet spot was. And um, Dovi is a he is a bit of a professor, isn't he? I think we, we used to think of him as the professor because he would have it all worked out in his head. Do you know what? It's a real pleasure to mention Andrea De Vizioso in a in a because he's like the forgotten man. He's just disappeared off the earth. And yet he was so good on a motorbike one of the very few people who could take it to, to Mark Marquez in his pomp. You know, so I'm glad that we're talking about Dobby. Clever fella, got it worked out, you know, got on with the job really, really well. But you're right, that transition is still there somewhere with the MR. <laughs> Excuse me. But what we're finding is it's a real fine line for all of them. Now, every, you know, you've got to look at the times they're doing. Everybody's on improved, improved times now as well. So it's you're chasing the tail of a, a Ducati dragon, really, aren't you? It's a... Ducati is so good in all areas now. And Aprilia have come up to match that as well. Yamaha, despite the fact they've got a bit more power. And there's the other problem as well. You give a motorbike a bit more power, that don't mean it's going to be better on the racetrack. It might be worse. As soon as you've got more power or power characteristics delivering power in a different way in a different place, suddenly you, you open up another can of worms that you've got to sort out. The balance of the bike, how it might respond to that extra power. You know, look at the, the Hondas when they went from the Honda ECUs and inertial platform, the, the, the two brains on a on a racing motorcycle, when they went from that to the spec Magnetic Morelli ones, oh, they were all at sea. It was a real, to tame that that Honda motor, their own electronics were so advanced. I always remember Colin Edwards saying to me when he rode for um, uh, you know, the, the Yamaha team, um, when they went to Magnetic Morelli, he said it's like going back seven years. He said the electronics were so poor in comparison to what they'd got or the development they got to software-wise within the hardware of the, the ECU. Um, he said that, that that it was like going back seven years. You know, he couldn't get on with it. I remember Elacious Bargro could get on with it just about when he rode with, with Colin. But Colin struggled with, with, the, with the new spec ECUs. So, I mean, electronically, things change. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everything changes. When you, when you get some more horsepower, it's how you manage that. It's how everything else manages the extra little bit of horsepower that you've got. It's not an easy balancing act. It's a good good question, good good point to bring up what Dovi said. You know, and it, was, it was a good explanation he was giving us, wasn't he? Because we're always asking, well, why is Quattro so much quicker? But it, it comes back to what we were saying earlier with the grip, doesn't it? That yes, they all they were all struggling with lack of traction, but Quattro was somehow able to get more corner speed. That then meant he didn't have to get on the power so much, didn't he? That's what the other riders would say, but they couldn't do that. They couldn't get well, Dobby as well was explaining he couldn't get the corner speed to compensate for the lack of traction out of the corner. And so that's what Quadrai was struggling with this weekend. He didn't have that grip, so he wasn't able to sort of make the difference that he normally makes. Now, we'll have to see. But but Frankie did say this new engine, more power, as he said, looked aggressive. He had more power, even in the wet. He said, you know, I, I felt the benefit of having that straight line speed. And, uh, you know, so they are feeling, you know, there has been progress in that front. They brought in Luca Marmarini given them the more power from the engine. And it seems like it is it is making a difference in races. But as Keith says, if you're, if you're Quattararo, you need to start qualifying. His big problem is he's qualified towards the back of the top 10, isn't he, at both rounds so far. And he's got tangled up in first lap incidents that would probably happen if you, if you were starting at the front. And he gets held up. His race pace is pretty good, but he's he's, he's held up and, and the race is gone then. Bike racers make the difference. I think with... Again, sorry, Harry, Formula One or, or car platforms, you've got a, a stable platform, guys strapped in, the car does what the car does. You could pretty much transpose you know, most of those top right drivers into the top car and it will probably still win. I was thinking of um, George Wassey's face when he jumped in Lewis Hamilton's car mm. and, and you know, basically was blitzing them all. Suddenly he jumped in, uh, into a car and he's, he's capable of winning. It's not the same in bikes. Um, the, uh, huge amount of input is to do with the riders how they adapt to the different characteristics of the same motorcycle they might be riding as their teammate you know an obvious example is Mark Marquez in that he was doing he has always done things with the Honda that no one else on another Honda can do you know Cal Crush though is a very outspoken straightforward fella said yeah I look at the data and I look exactly what Mark's doing he's <laughs> if I do that I'm going to crash you know it's it's almost it's, it's impossible to emulate what Mark Mark does on a on a bike. I go back to the time when when we went to Michelin's when we changed to Michelin's. I went to the first test at Sepang in, in uh, just around the corner from Kuala Lumpur, and and I remember watching Valentino Rossi struggle with those new Michelin's because back in the day the Bridgestones had loads of grip at the front, not so much at the back, 
whereas it swapped round when it when it got to Michelin's. We got less grip at the front and more grip at the back. So every characteristic of the bike changed. So you were watching all of these real world-class riders crash their brains out at Sepang, smash everything to pieces over two or three days and have to change their riding style to, to, to suit the new rubber that was, was fitted and change, the, the obviously, the way the bike set up. And I've watched Valentino Rossi change from the classic Valentino Rossi stance on a motorbike to, I remember him coming out of the sun at one stage and I could just see the shadow and I thought, and it looked sort of Marquez-esque, but only Rossi's stature. And I couldn't believe it. He, he was he was amiable, even though you can say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And here's Rossi, pretty old, learning new tricks and adapting to that motorbike. And I remember thinking, wow, that, that just goes to show you what quality Rossi is, was. Uh, I mean, I, I was so impressed because it's, it's so difficult to change your riding style, but that is what you have to do to get those last few little bits and pieces. That's that's the the lard, the icing on the cake. You can you can change as much as you like with the bike, but you've got to move yourself around on the bike. If you look at the different styles over the years, I mean, it's a, the comparison. You go back to Mick Dewan. What an odd style he had. Five world championships. You know, it's it's kind of like you look at him though, and you think, why would you ride a motorbike like that? It was odd. But I tell you what, he made it work every single time. And the same thing, you, you, you look through at different styles of different people. And of course, it depends on your your weight and your height. You know, that's the next thing that's coming. Are we going to end up with, you know, rider weights for bike and rider? I mean, I think that must come for, for MotoGP at some stage, as it is for Moto3 and Moto2. Um, so there are, there, there are so many other elements to it, you know, in, in racing a motorbike. And Morbidelli, getting back to the original question, he looked class again and we know he is he's a very clever man he's a very fast motorbike racer maverick vinales look at him confidence this year all of a sudden he's another one that's come out of the woodwork that you know people had written off thank heavens he had a little bit longer at it because if he hadn't done that deal with aprilia he might be lost to grand prix mm. you know you just you just wonder how many people have got fell off the end of the plank um before they they've had their maximum performances or before they've they've got back to to where they should be I'm sure there must, there must be many. I, I bet there are. Just just one last thing on Yamaha. That Quattro said that there's a test coming up after Jerez. So there's Cota, and then there's the Spanish Grand Prix at Jerez, and then they have a test. He's expecting some new parts of that test, which he said they need. You know, new aero parts, maybe some, a new exhaust, something like that. He said it's not going to change his change his world, but it but it will help. Of course, the trouble is the other teams will almost certainly have other new things as well. But it, we've got to remember he's using the old aero. You know, it, it's not a long-term fix. That's because it was the best they could find to get the, get it working on the last day of testing. That's the other issue he's got. He said it. They don't have a base setup yet. They only found their parts on the very final wow. day of testing. And now they're going to Grand Prix weekends and, and he's still trying to get the bike as he wants it. Then you have dodgy weather in Argentina, which messes things up. So some new parts coming for uh, for Yamaha, but not, not until the European season starts, let's say. I want to know what's happened to KTM. I, I mean, is that a rider thing or is that a machinery thing? Personally, I think it's a rider thing. Uh, I think that they've still got the same as what they had when they were testing. It's just that the, both of their riders, would you put them down as testers, Miller and Binder? I'd probably put them down as more scrappers. You know, I wouldn't put them down as going round and round and round looking for that tenth of a second. Suddenly we're seeing what the pair of them are capable of on that motorbike because we're into racing mode now. And they are the kind of guys that, you, you know, if you met them in an alley, you'd, you'd step to one side, wouldn't you? 
I think I think you're right there, Keith. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, certainly a Sapankas. They had loads of new parts, and I, I remember, you know, we were debating who, you know, where what the order of the manufacturers, and I, I I put them ahead of Honda, I think, didn't I? And thought, oh, you know, they, and then and then I was made to look completely wrong, wasn't I? At Portimao, where they really struggled, but because the impression you got was that they had they were ahead of Honda in the sense that they had all these parts, they tested them, and all the riders were like, yeah, we we know what we're going to use, we're going to put it in place, we'll get to Portimao, and it, it'll all be great. But they got to Portimao and it wasn't, was it? It was a it was a disaster, the Portimao test. And so that's why things look so bleak for them. But it does seem that, you know, with a bit more time, they've gone, hang on, no, we have got the right parts here. We just need to work out how to use them. And then they stick their two race riders on. As soon as they're in a Grand Prix weekend as well, I think all those things together has got this this transformation. I mean, fantastic. What a, what, what a turnaround. Yeah. They needed it. They certainly did. Uh, what about down at Gascas, though? It's not been the best start for them, uh, but we heard it's uh, Jonas Folger is going to replace Paul Espargro. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well because um, Jonas Folger is one of those enigmas, isn't he? You know, like he was going to be the great new German hope okay. at one point, and he looked like he was headed in that direction. And all of a sudden, you know, and all sorts of personal situations that, that cropped up, and he just dropped out, literally. You know, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but if you were, you know, A-star student through your A-levels and you got to university and then, you know, looked like you were going to be the best thing since sliced bread, and then you just drop out and, and never seen. Folger, I don't know whether he's going to be able to do anything. I mean, things have moved. The problem is nowadays things move on so fast. You know, like this whole game has moved on so much in the, in the years since Folger's been around. Be interesting to see how fast he is. I mean, from a from a from a fan point of view, I rated him very highly back in the day, and he could come up with a performance. If he can get anywhere near what he's capable of doing back then, it will be stunning. But I doubt it. Sadly, I mean, it's, good, it's, it's good you bring that up, Keith, wasn't it? Because what a, what a rookie year he had up until that point. He, he was okay. I think he, was he teammates with Zarco, so they were. It was a great year for Tectoir. Both of them, you know, as rookies, were doing great, but. Uh, you know, he was second to Mark Marquez in his home race, wasn't he, in Germany? And it, like you say, everyone was like, you know, future star here. And then it, we got to the flyaways. I remember I was in Mateki for the for the Japanese Grand Prix, and suddenly this announcement came out that he'd withdrawn from the event due to an illness. And, you know, it was just out of the blue. We'd, no one saw it and didn't race again, did he? He ended up uh, withdrawing from the rest of the season. And then we got the, the sort of announcement, the intention was to come back the following year, that no, he wouldn't come back. And... Uh, yeah, real shock. And then he's been doing a bit of test riding. I think he did a year in the World Superbike Championship. Mm. He joined KTM this this year officially as a test rider. So he's there with Danny Pedroza. Mika Cavio is still there as well, but I think Mick is more of a rider sort of coach now. Danny will be doing the, the Spanish Grand Prix when he is a wild card. So I guess, you know, they need to put somebody on the bike. We're talking about replacements, Keith. You were mentioning all the riders that are out. They need to put somebody on the bike if they're not going to have Paul back for, for Cota, which he's not going to be. He's going to be you know, five, six rounds at least, it looks like, before Poles fit to return. So they, they, they have to put someone on it. And so, yeah, Folger's got the got the nod. So it'll be an interesting, I suppose, comparison for, for uh, Augusto Fernandez, the only rookie, isn't he? You know, who had a good weekend, but he's got nobody to really compare to, is he, being the only newcomer? So that'll be quite interesting to see what their, what their relative pace is like. I think that might be another thing that they're going to look at team-wise, manufacturer-wise as well. We talked about it, I think, in the last um, episode in that, you know, the backup that they need now for, for 42 races, the possibility of running out of riders effectively through through injury. You know, yeah, they've got test riders and Folger's obviously coming in this time around. 
you know, we, we see quite a lot of test riders, but is that pool big enough for all of the manufacturers to be able to draw from? You know, I alluded to the fact that we could have, you know, maybe some World Superbike guys coming in and having a little look. It'd be, be nice to see. You know, go back to the Jonathan Ray times. When Jonathan Ray came in and rode that um, Repsol Honda, personally, I think he did brilliantly well. He didn't crash the bloody thing. He finished in the top seven, I think, didn't he? I think it was something like that. Yeah. Rode it really, really well, considering it was the first time. And everybody kind of overlooked it. I think Jonathan Ray, he should have been in MotoGP years ago. It still annoys the hell out of me that he never had that opportunity at an age where he should have been coming in. Class rider at the top of his game. You know, and he came in and did those those two rides. But before I go off on a ramble for the whole of Northern Ireland, um, <laughs> the, the the fact of the matter is, is I wonder whether that you know this this rider market is going to get bigger come twenty twenty four as well. We have got a lot of things coming up for next year. You know, I think they're going to have to sign more riders, have more riders. You know, in reserve if we're going to be forty two races. You know, the possibility of of riders, you know. The, it's so easy to get injured. I mean, like 220 mile an hour motorbikes, you know, even at the slowest off, I mean, if you've jumped out your car at 30 mile an hour and rolled up the road in your leathers and your helmet, you'd hurt yourself. And these guys are falling off at much quicker speeds than that. They're getting clattered now and again, even when they don't fall off and they go into a big tank slapper or whatever it might be. You know, I've known guys that have broken their wrist just by, by the fact the bikes are snapped back at them off the suspension. You know, yeah. They're all carrying injuries by the time we get to sort of three, four, five rounds in. Everybody has got some kind of injury. Um, so this um, backup that I keep banging on about, I can see being becoming a, a, a bigger issue. Well, and because the contract, I suppose the point, Pete, is they're contracted. They they're allowed ten days, I think. Yes. Without having a second rider on it. So if if after ten days um, somebody can't come back, they've got to replace him with somebody. Uh, that might well become an issue by mid-season. Well, well, what you're saying, Keith, you're, you, it's already there almost, isn't it, with Repsol Honda. Both their guys are injured. Now, we're, we're expecting Mark to come back, but theoretically, at the moment, they're both unfit to ride. Okay, you've got Seth and Bradle, but they would then need another rider, wouldn't they, by, by, by Spain, if you like. So the situation you're talking about, Keith, it, it could already potentially happen. Or, you know, just by round three or four. So, yeah, it's definitely something to, uh, you know, that could be a problem. The reason I'm smiling is because I can see them raiding the television commentary boxes because already they've got <laughs> Stefan Bradle out of commentary for German <laughs> television. I can see Hodgson being dragged out by his... I mean, Hodgie was funny at the weekend when he did his track, he did his track guide. Silvan Gantoli was absolutely pissing himself. Because Hodney was out of breath by the time they got to turn four. It was hilarious. <laughs> Silvan, I, I, I love Silvan Gattoli. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's fast, he's sharp, he's bloody funny. Um, <laughs> and he couldn't resist it. Hodgie, Hodgie really was, you know, he's going, it's a fast track. It's a physical track as well. <laughs> it might be low grip, which means that you normally get a bit more time off. But, oh, Hodgie, Obviously, hasn't been training lately. He has only just recently got married, so he might still be having a bit of the old cake on him. <laughs> <laughs> Bless him. Um, before we come on to a bit of Moto2, Moto3 action, um, you mentioned Maverick Vinales a few moments ago, Keith. Uh, and for Aprilia, I mean, the weekend started off quite well, but then it seemed to get, actually get worse and worse towards the races. Well, I mean, does it get worse and worse, or did he stay the same and every, everyone well, else got used to it and got better? I mean, it's it's it, that that's a difficult, isn't it? You can sometimes you can start off and you think, "Wow, I'm on for it this weekend," and then all of a sudden you get swamped by everyone else around you because they're all they're all getting used to the conditions and, and finding finding traction. 
It's a really weird track. I mean, like you, we talk about it being low grip. Everyone says low grip. What does that mean? Yeah, it's not quite got the same amount of grip in the dry as, as, as some of the other tracks. And you've got a couple of flat, you know, turn five where you see people trying to outbreak each other at the end of that 200 odd mile an hour straight. You know, it's a really, it's got no camber to it at all. It's just dead flat. So you're running in there trail braking. By trail braking, you're hard on the brakes. And as you start to tip in, you come off the brakes, come off the brakes, come off the brakes, come off the brakes until you're right there. And then burp, you pick it up. And as soon as you go burp, as I, as I like to say, as soon as you touch that throttle, it takes the weight off the front and on a flat camber surface, it just folds under. Pick it up on your knee if you're really, really good um, or lucky. <laughs> but it's kind of low grip in the dry, but abrasive and grippy in the wet. Now, how does that work? You know, it, it was done. Jano Zeffirelli, who you'll be familiar with, both of you will be familiar with. Jano Zeffirelli of uh, Dromo, I think, is his company, isn't he? His Italian firm. They they reconfigured uh, Termaster Rio on, though, like they have done Sepang and various other tracks around the world. Really good company. Zeffirelli seems to have, seems to have got it worked out for for bikes. He seems to kind of know what what we need, and he he basically reconfigured Termas. You know, gave us what we've got. It's a brilliant racetrack. But the surface, again, you might be able to design a perfect racetrack, but the the aggregates that you get in, you know, northern Argentina aren't the same as what you get in downtown Derby or or wherever it might be, you know. That, so you can never be absolutely sure. I remember when he did, actually, when he did uh, Sepang, yeah, they revamped that that horrible last corner, the hairpin, and he, he put this adverse camera, the, you know, the other adverse camera on it because it used to fill up with water on the inside when we had a storm there. And we had a storm every day in Sepang because that's how it is in Southeast Asia. But he put the camber the other way, um, which meant that the cars could go either inside, which was a bit slow, or right the way around the outside. And the bikes got used to it as well, but the water drained away towards the gravel trap. But they ran out of the whatever tarmac mix that they were using. So half the, the front straight had one type of tarmac mix and the other side had, and one side was grippier to get away from particularly if it was damp, than the other side. It's crazy. You get that sometimes when the grandstand is, is on the side of a of racetrack and he, and it's rained, and one side the sun is on, so you get a dry blast-off area, and the other side is wet. And that was and, and somehow Zeffirelli managed to get that on the Sepang in all conditions down that front straight. <laughs> but, the, well, it's exactly, yeah, and coming back to Aprilia, that seemed to be their fortunes, wasn't it? As soon as it started raining... Their performance was gone, as you say, Harry. They looked great on Friday. Um, I think uh, I can't remember if it was Maverick was in front of Alege, but Alege was was looking the best for race pace, let's say. But both of them were quick. They were all up there, and as soon as the rain arrived, yeah, their fortune sort of went downhill. And especially on Sunday, all of them, and even Raoul on the year old bike. So there must be something about the Aprilia DNA. They all complained lack of traction. They didn't know quite why, but difficult bike to ride in the wet. So maybe the only real weakness of the of the Aprilia at the moment is is in the wet. Yeah, it's hard to fathom that kind of problem, isn't it? But definitely, you're right, Pete. In that the, they all suffered from it. So, and it can be power delivery. You know, it can be that power delivery. You know, if it's not, you know, it could be just a software thing. They could dial it in better. Come the, you know, if they'd had more wet time, perhaps. That that is exactly actually you mentioned it, Keith. What Ralph Fernandez says, he thinks it's too aggressive. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that initial tap. <clears throat> I think that there's a there's quite a few. Um, race teams have been working on that this year. That initial tap where you just touch it in. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Um, that's really important. You kind of want it to be aggressive. It's funny. A mate of mine, he's got the same car as mine. And um, he said, oh, 
He said, it goes like stink now. I said, how can it go like stink? What have you done to it? He said, nothing. We put this new um, throttle control box on it. And all it does is when you touch it, it just gives you like three quarters throttle early on <laughs> rather than the, the progressive tiny bit of throttle. It's the only analogy I can make to a normal person. If you, When you touch the throttle on your car and you push it down harder and harder and harder to make it go faster and faster and faster and rev a bit more, um, my mate has got this bit of electronics that he's stuck under his foot somewhere that now when he just touches it, he only has to touch it and think, and it's, it's out of your hand straight away. Well, that's a similar thing to, to you know, how some of these bikes, they are unbelievably powerful. But that first, that initial tap, if you've got something that's a bit aggressive, it's trying to get out from underneath you, particularly on low grip tracks or in the wet, and you've really got to be careful. You've really got to wait for it to come to you. If it if it delivers in a in an aggressive manner, it's out from under you down the road. Or worse still, it delivers in a way that just takes the weight off the front and you fold the front up and down you go. Tricks of the trade. They're all working on it. By the way, I'm not going to get one of them boxes for my car. <laughs> I've been in the passenger seat of your car once, Keith. You don't need it. Um, let's talk Moto2. I've got heavy foot. <laughs> let's talk Moto2 now. Uh, Alonso Lopez uh, turned a, a late dash for a, a new tyre into a new record for pole, but couldn't take the win. That went to Tony Arbolino and Jake Dixon, who became a father and got onto the podium in third after running up front in the early stages. A good Moto2 race by, by all standards, Keith. Yeah, I, I mean, congratulations to Jake and Sarah. I mean, a, a beautiful couple and a, a beautiful baby. And I, I I have some sympathy for him because I've, I've missed two of the births of four of my children from being at racetracks. Um, yeah, I've known, known riders and drivers and racing people and broadcasters who have dumped their job to go back to, to oversee what's going on. But... Um, Jake was obviously in a position where he couldn't do that, and I've been in that position personally as well. And it's quite quite difficult when you're away from home and something as dramatic as that is going on. And the relief, I think it was Gintoli, again, Sylvan, good old Sylvan. Um, he said something along the lines of that this could, and I think Sylvan's got six kids, I think, so he wondered about this stuff. Um, basically, he said that this might be something that inspires him to something even greater. Now that he's got that massive weight and that worry, even though he will have denied it was a worry, I'm sure, but it always is. Um, out of the way, baby delivered, everything, mum's safe, baby's safe, everybody's happy. He could now concentrate 100%. And the wet weather, you would have said, might have really suited Jake as well. So I could see where Sylvan was coming from when he, he sort of um, predicted that Jake could be the man for the win. But podium finish for Jake, it's good stuff. The wins are coming for Jake. I have no doubt about that in my 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 heart. He's... Now that he's got to the point where he's got to, it's a funny old thing, you know, growing up. You know, you go from hairy-ass biker, quick everywhere, bloody good fun, British superbike rider as he was, you know, always grinning and jumping about and jack the lad and all the rest of it, to where he is now, married, father, you know, potential, you know, Grand Prix winner, all of those things. They're all coming to a point now. They're coming to a head. He's at that age now where all of that stuff, is going to start being positive. And I feel Jake is is right on the cusp of, of, of being able to do the business this year. So when he gets that first one out of the way, mind you, we've been saying about that for Zarco for years, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx it. <laughs> um, just go back to the race too. Yeah, I mean, Acosta... Bad race, wasn't it for him? I, I don't know whether it, wet conditions maybe his his sort of weakness. He, 
you know, he was looking all, all good until the rain arrived. And uh, I think it was 12th place, wasn't it, in the end? So whereas you had Jake and, and the other guys that, that really excelled in those conditions, Alonso Lopez in second between them, um, you know, yeah, difficult one for uh, for for Acosta. You know, I'm not exactly sure what, but you should see that the gesture when he came back that he just didn't have the feel that he wanted in those conditions. So, um, yeah, not not quite following up the Portimao victory in the way that he obviously would have liked. But um, and and further back, was it Sergio uh, Garcia? I think he he had an amazing ride at something like twenty eighth to fifth or something yeah. with, with a penalty as well. So uh, yeah. Well. The, you mentioned penalties. Aaron Kennett, double, you know, he jumped start, clearly a jump start. I mean, he got that brilliant double long lap penalty. And he, well, so the penalty wasn't brilliant, but how he handled it was. I mean, he was so, I mean, dirty old slip straight, you know, track around the outside. And he rode it like you thought, oh, don't go in there too quick. Because it's, you come into it quite quick on the brakes, it's tight, and then it opens out. I don't think he lost, I think he lost one point something seconds um, on the first one that he did. And he lost, it was his fastest lap, I think, on the next one. Something along those lines. Or he equaled his fastest lap at that point on his second round. So um, he lo- he lost effectively over the two long lap penalties, about 1.8 seconds, I think it was. And only a, only a place or two places, I think he managed it. Because coming out of the, the long lap penalty um, strip, <laughs> you got more acceleration there. You could blast past anybody that had gone under you. <laughs> so you end up overtaking people coming out of the place. So Canet was... Um, was on it despite his jump start. Mm. And Binder one guy sixth as well. Binder is it? Yeah, but that was his best of his uh, Motor Two young Motor Two career today, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. you know. So he's he's getting there. Uh, one guy who wasn't there, of course, Ayagura. He did come back this weekend, but withdrew from the race. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, that that wrist injury is uh, obviously fairly serious. Skateboard break. So it's one of those that's slow to heal, isn't it? Oh, I can tell you. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's done a scaphoid. If they've not done a collarbone, they've done a scaphoid, one or the other. Mine's a scaphoid. And they, three months, you can be three months. Court Ballington, go back to the double 250, 350 world champion of the of the 70s and 80s. Um, Court Ballington, because when he first came to the UK, he got no money, lived in a van. Can you believe it? That was the South African. I mean, you'll have to look him up if you're younger than me. But he, he Ballington... He couldn't afford to not race. He had to race in international races to, to make enough money to go to the next race. Um, him and Bronwyn, his wife, who were living in this bloody van. And he broke his scaphoid. And it, if you carry on riding, if you don't have it pinned, you can get them pinned. But they've got no blood supply. It's a bone with very little blood supply. And once it departs and you don't let it heal, that's it. It never joins back up again. Oof. And it can be a problem later in, later in life, particularly for motorbike racers. So it's an all, you know, I broke one in 82 and it just took, took three months. I, I rode with it, but like I kept doctor's orders kept saying every time they x-rayed it, it wasn't joining back up and all the rest of it. And it can be a real problem, but you can get through the pain. It's just a question of whether you want the bone to join up again yeah. <laughs> later. Delightful. <laughs> Lovely. If you listen, if you're having this over your lunch or your dinner. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Honestly, it's not a big deal. It sounds like it is, but yeah. it's not. I mean, it obviously hurts because you, you broke it, but it's it's, it's a nothing thing. Um, it's like collarbones. Collarbones, you can break collarbone. Look at Lorenzo at Assen a few years ago. Broke his collarbone on the, the first session, cleared off to Spain, had it had it pinned, came back and raced in the race. Mm. You know, like uh, the, uh, even my old mate Steve Parrish, <laughs> he's got both of his done and he's a wimp. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Steve. If you if you're watching, um, Moto Two Tony Abelino then leads the championship now. Head of Canet Acosta and Dixon, top 
four, Philip Salach rounding out the top five. Moto three, Tatsuki Suzuki with the win in front of Diego Moreira and Andrea Minu. But I know you want to go there straight away, Keith, because Scott Ogden, what a ride. Yeah, Scott Ogden, I, he's been somebody that I've been banging the drum about this year since last year, really. I mean, he looks like the real deal to me. And again, the kind of conditions, I mean, what you've got to remember is a lot of riders, you know, are used to these kind of conditions. They're, they're racing their domestic championships in these kind of conditions. Um, and, it, and, it, and it can come good. But I think Scott Ogden, like I say, is the real deal. He's riding really, really well. At Motor 3 was all about new boys, wasn't it? I mean, Xiaomi Masia, who I got money on, just bloody, you know, down he went. It, it's one of those situations where, again, it's going to be he who scores, he who stays unscathed through these early ones, scoring sensible points, is going to be on for the championship by the time we get to the end of the year. Because I think that these 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 rounds are going to count. You're going to need these points moving on. Um, good to see Suzuki on the top step. You know, brilliant. Um, he looked imperious. There was no one anywhere near him. He didn't look like he made a mistake anywhere when I was watching that race. So, well-deserved. Brilliant ride. And we've seen it before, haven't we, round there? I mean... Just somehow, some riders make it click in those conditions. Who was the guy? I'm just trying to think. Who was the guy that uh, the Malaysian guy that absolutely cleared off? Then his team were on the on the on the pit wall, jumping up and down and screaming for him to slow down. <laughs> Memory's gone regarding that, but I, I, you get that quite often, and I feel that the Suzuki's team will have been doing the same. You know, like you got a six second lead, seven second lead. Calm yourself. Then, well, but he, you can't because you want to keep your concentration going. You need that concentration to, to keep at that performance. Well, he had that gap though, didn't he, Pete? And then there was a whole gaggle of cars, which include the likes of you know Ricardo Rossi coming on uh, really well in the late stages. But then, of course, uh, it didn't end too well for him. No, I mean we, there was Mino was back, wasn't he as well? He started the year without a ride, and there he is. He ends up on the podium. I mean, mm. I mean, fantastic comeback for him. All the all the MotoGP VR46 guys, you know, academy guys were all waiting there to greet him, weren't they? And he was he was soaking up the the slowdown lap. And then David Almanza, I hope I'm saying his name right. I mean, what a race he was having. You were you were speaking about Scott Ogden. Unfortunately, they came together, didn't they? And uh, Scott did a, a little bit of a Marquez in that he lost lost control under braking and and contact with Almanza. And uh, down he went. Scott got, I think it was a six-second penalty, but only dropped in one place. But unfortunately for Almanzo, who was fighting for a podium, uh, he came in. I think he was the replacement for Joel Kelso, who had that accident after the flag at, uh, at Portimao. So, you know, a shame he didn't get to to, to the flag because, he, I mean, fantastic performance for him. I'm sure he's called the eye of a lot of, a mm. lot of teams uh, with that ride. Carolyn has asked a question. Uh, why do the Moto3 riders flap their legs on corner entry sometimes? Is it another way to show, uh, to slow or control their progress? Um, love the podcast, and I think the sprint races are great. <laughs> Thanks, Carolyn. Why do they what? Why their do they legs? flap their legs on corner entry? Oh, okay, entry? the doctor's dangle. It's known as the doctor's dangle. A, it was... Um... <laughs> a doctor's dangle. <laughs> the doctor's dangle, because it's Valentino Rossi who flicked oh, his okay. leg out. <laughs> but it's kind of one of those ones where, as an old school rider, you kind of think, "God, that looks messy," you know. But the the, the effect of it is, is it obviously is an aero situation as well. But it also forces you back in the seat, puts your 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 backside back towards the rear end. So when you're breaking into a corner, it's just got that situation where it's it's giving you that, you know, rather than you, all on your arms, you've got a bit of aero pushing you back in there into the back of the seat as well. It's about just positioning the bike and getting the weight in the right place on the bike as well. Plus the fact, 
it's got that kind of aggravating don't come near me kind of a feel about it i mean i'm sure that you know leon haslam is my favorite for it leon haslam is one of the shortest blokes i know with the with the longest doctor's dangle you've ever seen in your life he sticks his leg right out into the right out into the face of everyone trying to get by him but you end up in a situation quite often you know look at loris baz he ended up he's getting run over the other week you know and it's caused him a huge you know i think it was it alex lose who ran over him i think um, he stuck his foot out and in World Superbikes, and it can be. I'm amazed there are more people that have got caught up with it, but um, if you don't want your foot running over, be a bit careful where you stick it. Well, they... I only ever stick my foot in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Carolyn. Uh, they've, they've got more for you bargain for with that uh, with that answer. Um, well, just to see off Moto3, it's Danny Holgado who leads the championship, head of Moreira, Suzuki, Munoz, and uh, Nepa in the top five um we we've run over time pretty much we're we're there um but before we uh fade away just need to do a little plug because keith and i are going to be seeing each other on saturday this saturday Darling. at the yes, uh, at silverstone for round one of the british superbike championship uh, and we're doing a little live chin wag uh, if you would like to come and join us i think it starts at about six o'clock in the evening on saturday uh, outside the pit stop cafe or inside um if uh, it's raining uh, Pete is uh, rudely not in the country, so he's not there. So uh, if you're there, do come along, say hello, and have a chat. We should have some good guests uh, planned as well. But that's uh, this Saturday uh, for the BSB about six o'clock in the evening. So uh, after all the action's done and just before the music starts. So hopefully we'll see you then. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we're done. I think we're out of here. Anything? Any last words? Have I missed anything? We all good? I think you've done pretty well. I think it was Cairo Idam Powie who was the guy that, that cleared off in the distance in the wet back in the moment three days. Sorry. Had to get that in. <laughs> I had to have a quick look. I mean, I'm sure that's who it was. I think it was 2015. Now, actually, one thing to settle this. Who gets the point for biggest surprise? Because Pete has said Bezeki. Now, was that really a surprise, though? <laughs> this is the debate we had, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now I'm thinking... Yeah. Whereas I said more Bedelli, and I think that's more of a surprise. Let us know what you think in the comments. Uh, who gets that point? And Keith went for Alex Marquez. So just just to, just to keep you in mind there. We'll add all those points in at the end. Uh, right, we'll have a break, uh, and then we're back for Kota. So we'll see you then. In the meantime, make sure you tuned in across Crash.net for all the very latest news and analysis across the week. And uh, we will be back with you next week. We'll fill the airwaves, don't worry. Uh, get your questions in, leave them in the comments section, tweet, Instagram or Facebook us, just search Crash Moto GP, or you can voice note us. The email is podcast at crash.net. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts and we shall see you right back here next week. Bye-bye.